0: There, I'm here. I'm here. It's me, Margaret. Um, do you like utopian space fantasy?
1: I do very much.
0: Do you like space communism?
1: I'm all about redistributing that space wealth.
0: Uh, this is popcorn eschaton, a side a side quest, a side channel, a extra little thing that we do on the Zebras in America channel. I am Scott Thurow with the co-host John Arminio, where we discuss films that have either a leftist lens, a religious lens, or we look at it through a leftist or religious lens and then try to find the pieces in between. And today we are Attacking something that we both love If you know me And you listen to any of the other stuff I do You know that I co-host a Show called Southpaw Deep Space Nine Where me and My friend Sam Go through every single episode Of Deep Space Nine And discuss its Leftist undertones Uh, Star Trek is one of my favorite Franchises of all time it's something that I've enjoyed since I since whenever Star Trek 5 came out I saw that in the theaters with my dad and I've been a fan ever since and
1: I understand John you're a fan of the Star Trek franchise Yeah uh, I've also been a long time or lifetime uh, lover and fan of Star Trek um, I I remember seeing, Final Frontier in the theater as well, and so I must have been, you know, five years old, and so that would have been probably one of my first theatrical experiences, and and I knew those characters already, so I had been watching uh, original series reruns at, like, four and five years old, so it's it's been with me as long as I can remember, and I've, you know, been loving it uh, ever since. Yeah, I,
0: I saw the Final Frontier in, in the theaters. What... So I must have been six or seven. And it was, I think it was around the time that The Next Generation was coming out. I remember my father, who loved Star Trek, um, he was very excited about Star Trek The Next Generation to see where they were going to go with it. And while the original series is not my favorite Trek series. It is important. And it introduced us to Gene Roddenberry's idea, and it did things on television that no other television shows had done in the past. And I think it's a very significant and important series. Yeah. And so why do you love Star Trek?
1: Um, You know, from the very beginning, I, I think it was so focused on great characters and, and great writing. Um, you, you know, because 1960s television, you didn't have the money or the time for elaborate special effects. So you just had to depend upon the written word and you know, sometimes uh, use leftover uh, gangster or old West sets that the, the studio had laying around to, to save your your budget. Um, But I, I also, you know, just really love Gene Roddenberry's vision for the future, uh, a post-scarcity, a post-wealth um, way of doing things, you know, beyond government, beyond uh, economics. It's, just, it's an entirely new value system where you do what you're passionate about. And society is able to support those passions. And, you know, it it was also a show, not always, but it blatantly had a political agenda. Even from the makeup of the bridge crew. It was Gene Ronberry saying that, like, in the future, um, it's going to be, you know... (laughs) Very possible, or it, it would be taken for granted to have a Russian, a Japanese, and an American person serving alongside one another. Uh, uh, you know, have um, an African-American be an officer. Like, that was, like, the point and the agenda of the show. And its politics were blatant and on its sleeve. And that has become such, like, a a political whipping post for, like, for media now that sometimes franchises are, are afraid of it, but Gene Roddenberry was not. And, and I've, I've always really admired that. Now, obviously, it, it's the politics and social mores of the late 1960s, and we sort of have to, to view that um, in, in an appropriate context, but I think the show is still magnificent.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... I think the show did a lot of things really well and again contextually to have a to have a russian person on a show during the cold war to have a black woman to have and and an on-screen kiss between a white person and a black person that had never done before granted there is controversy about that episode but it was huge and you you had yeah to have this multicultural cast and for it not to feel lobbed on it it just felt natural it did feel like if we lived in a future of this utopian lens which you know most films that depict the future are often do not depict utopia they depict terrible things they They depict the worst in humanity and Gene Roddenberry in Star Trek aims to look at the best in humanity, the best, the best things that we can do and what a world where you have food replication and, and access. And you also show that in the lore of Star Trek, before all of this happened, the world was going in a very bad place. But the lore is just so full of depth and delicious and of i'm sure that if you're listening to this podcast you know that martin luther king jr was a huge fan of star trek and you know the story of of him because the actress that paid uhura was gonna quit because she wasn't into it and he was like no you have to remain on the show black people are going to become astronauts because of you and it's really amazing how many of the how many of the main cast of the original star trek got honorary degrees because so many people got into medicine because of mccoy and uh, engineering because of scott and spaceship because of Mm -hmm. scott not spock excuse me you know The actor that played Scotty, for whom I'm named after, yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Well, yes and, as they say in improv and therapy. I was, my parents thought I was going to be a girl and were planning to name me Sarah after my great-grandmother. And then they found out I was going to be a boy, but th- so they wanted to keep the S name. And, and the closest analog to Sarah is Sam, but they didn't like the name Sam. And my dad loves Star Trek, so Scotty, it was. Nice. So, yeah. What I'm telling you is that Star Trek has been in my blood for so long. Mm. And even though, again... The original series, it's not my least favorite because Enterprise is really not very redeeming to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I don't revisit Star Trek: The Original Series that much. But I wouldn't have the Star Treks that I love were it not for the original series. It's just it's just that Kirk is so hard for me to like.
1: Yeah, I, I um. I I love James Tiberius Kirk. Uh, I I think for me because he like the movies were me were were sort of as as impactful as the series. So when I see the you know certainly what we would consider sexist now behavior mm-hmm. of, of Kirk or or his ego um I was also seeing at the same time the, the Kirk in you know like undiscovered country, or the the Kirk in Star Trek Three where he loses a son, and, and I'm able to to see the sort of arc of his character as he comes to become a man with much more perspective and a man with with regrets, and a man who who is like grappling with the the loneliness that, that he's he's left with at the end of his life. And I find I find that, that, that arc so, like, fascinating and compelling. And I see him as this, like, lovable, flawed character who's, who really is trying his best and is also extraordinarily competent at, at his job. And it's very satisfying to see him, you know, save the galaxy over and over again. And, I mean, he, and, and he's always... Uh, looked at with raised eyebrow disapproval by his best friend Spock. And I really love the relationship between the two of them and, and Dr. McCoy. So it's the, the original series is definitely uh, in my blood for sure. I hear that. And I'm not here to
0: argue with you. In fact, I'm here. We're here to celebrate mm-hmm. what I, what I think will be the first of many episodes where we talk about the Star Trek movies because there's many Star Trek movies. So you know, we can't just do a couple. We are going to talk about Star Trek the Motion Picture and Star Trek the Wrath of Khan today. Okay. But I do I do want to say that for me Strange New Worlds gives me what I have always wanted from the original series. Awesome. And I think Paul Wesley's performance as Kirk is awesome. Yeah, I, I I really like him a lot. I think I think the new Trek shows are fantastic, all of them. Prodigy is really interesting, but I haven't gotten super into it. Lower Decks is is amazing. Discovery, I've Discovery, I, I just think is really interesting and fascinating and strange new worlds is, is chef's kiss and Picard is fan service. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. And, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay Mm -hmm. with it, but it, but it really is fan service from, from an utmost degree. I mean, I was so obsessed with star Trek, even though I preferred the next generation that I used to read tech world. Do you remember tech world?
1: I do. Yeah, I did not read those.
0: <laughs> it was William Shatner's comic book and, mm. and and short and TV series that was that was published in Epic Comics uh, which I'm sure John you're familiar with which was mm. Marvel's all adult imprint that also had the Akira comics in English.
1: Long defunct label, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, it hasn't existed in a long time. Yeah. But, yeah, so Star Trek, the original... Star Trek, the motion picture. Uh, k why, why, why this movie? Yeah, so... And tell uh, me about it.
1: Yeah, uh, 1979, directed by Robert Wise. Um, I, I really love this movie. I know it has uh, sort of a, a divisive reaction from fans. And I know we usually don't go into... Like behind the scenes stuff in this podcast, but I think it is pertinent to the sort of the the spiritual journey that these characters go go through because I think you it's know, imp- I think it's important for this for this case. Yeah, and there's um, no rules. There's sure. no rules for this show. I like that. Thank you. Um, so you know, Robert Wise is just a legendary director who sort of epitomized like the skilled craftsman of like the late studio system. So he redefined different genres several times. So, you know, he he directed The Day the Earth Stood Still. He directed West Side Story and uh, and The Sound of Music. Um, So, you know, some of the most successful in like genre breaking films of all time, very disparate styles. And so for him to tackle this sci-fi franchise might seem like a reach, but he's also somebody who could make any kind of movie. Um, but um, the lead up to this film was notoriously laborious um, because it went from like a a rebooted series, some elements that might go into next generation like a decade later, and then the series was scrapped and some of those elements were then sort of remolded into this motion picture and there were scripts by people like Ray Bradbury and Harlan Ellison and Theodore Sturgeon that were all like not used, so already very expensive before they started shooting because of all this, like, scrapped pre-production stuff. And that led to a very constrained production schedule, and so the movie was released, much to Robert Wise's chagrin, um, far before it was finished, and he would be bitter about that for the rest of his life, much in the same way that, like, David Lynch, like, can't talk about Dune still um and so there were three more versions of this movie released There's the like elongated tv version there was an enhanced edition that came out in the early 2000s uh with uprising and editing by david c fine mark Mercino and darren doctorman and for a long time you know we thought that that was going to be the last we're going to see of it um, because to do like a 4K version, they would need access to all the elements and the original negative and da 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 da. da. But a couple years ago, they were. And um, uh, David C. Fine said that Robert Wise made him promise that as long as he was alive, he would can try to get Robert Wise's final vision up on the screen. And so the director's edition that we have now is about as close as Robert Wise's vision that we're ever gonna get. And so a lot of the um, the audio problems are, are fixed. A lot of the, the special effects elements that were not finished are, are completed. Uh, um, so there's a much, it just looks better. The special effects looks finished. A lot of the, the matte paintings that were like very janky are, are fixed. And um, there's even some like digital inserts of Enterprise shots that were intended to be filmed that were never filmed. Um, And so I really admire that these three guys were able to, like, fulfill their mentor's dream um, even after he he died through just this tireless um, effort and and love for, for this film. And I think it's also a testament to... But Paramount and also the fans of this film that, like... They're willing to pay to f- like re- redo and upscale this movie again for, especially like during pandemic times when, when that work was going on, when nobody was, you know, seeing movies anyway, and they're going to do this for a theatrical release. And I was able to see it in theaters, and it was a great experience. Um, and so I find, I find that, you know, 40 year journey uh, of this movie extremely compelling.
0: Yeah, and what does frustrate me though is it the Star Trek movies, the old ones, are not on Paramount Plus.
1: That's crap. That's like, nonsense.
0: Yeah, cause I, cause I was like, in in preparation for this episode, I was like, oh, I'll just turn on Paramount Plus and watch it because that's what I use for Star for for Southpaw, Deep Space Nine. And yeah, they only have the the Chris Pine Star Trek movies. I had to use my friend's password for HBO Max, but the the restored version of of Star Trek is is beautiful. I mean, I think it was I think I think the original was was a effects marvel, and yeah. you know, it was forty six or forty seven million dollars which was quite a lot of money at the time. And I think my, my criticisms of it aren't the special effects. I think up until Deep Space Nine and they started incorporating just straight-up computer graphics, mm-hmm. Star Trek was really excellent because of its use of miniatures, its use of practical effects, its use of sound design, its use of makeup was just unlike any, and I still think miniatures are the best.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know of any ship in science fiction period that looks as good as the Enterprise looks in the motion picture. It just, it looks so beautiful.
0: It's gorgeous. And my my issue with Star Trek, the motion picture, is that it doesn't, the, the story is not super compelling. There's not really a villain and you just you just don't get a lot of the character lore that you love from Star Trek. What is Star Trek the motion picture about?
1: So we're introduced to this. Enormous solar uh, system-sized cloud that uh, destroys a group of Klingon ships and also uh, a Starfleet base. And Enterprise is then tasked to intercept this cloud, discover what it is, and deal with it. But um, Captain Kirk, who is desperate to prove himself and just on a full-on ego trip, has is now an admiral but has replaced the uh captain of of the enterprise and put himself in charge and um and the the enterprise then journeys to uh, on a mission of discovery um to penetrate the cloud and understand what it wants and to prevent it from destroying earth and along the way spock who is on his own journey of discovery um, ha- has a psychic connection to this cloud and through that is able to realize his, his own journey of um, pure logic may not be uh, the most fulfilling life choice.
0: And, yeah, I mean, what's really interesting is that, like, Leonard Nimoy was reluctant to do these movies mm-hmm. and even though he ends up being in the most Star Trek movies of any character if you think about it yeah he he didn't he was not he was like these stories have already been told because there were two seasons of star trek the original series uh three three there were three there was supposed to be a fourth of there, there's an animated series which was once considered canon but i'm not sure if it's considered canon now and you know there were so many stories that they wanted to tell what do you think about the story that they told here
1: um i find it i find it really beautiful um because it is a very personal story about this crew encountering an intelligence that they have no context for and that they have to commune with in in some way. Um, And it's this being that has journeyed throughout the galaxy and accumulated an infinite amount of knowledge but is still seeking something. It still finds itself empty. And that echoes with the experience Spock has in his journey towards Kolinar, which is like a path of pure logic. And the way he connects with the cloud, V'ger, and the way he's then able to connect with his best friend Kirk, like the 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 moment where they grasp hands, and he says like like this, you know this joining is more than than V'ger could ever hope to achieve, and, and I think that journey of personal growth is extremely beautiful. And, and I think um, there's a moment when one of the new characters, Ilya, played by the amazing uh, Persis Kambata, um she heals Chekhov's burn and there's up until that point, there is this awkwardness and reluctance of physical touch between all of the characters. Um, and this is the first time in the movie where one character touches another and there's a, there's a moment of healing. And so th- there's this like physical exchange of energies and, and caring in this contact. And that's why Ilya is then taken by Vita to sort of be its vessel um, to communicate with these carbon-based life forms, and these elements make this a really unique story in the Star Trek canon. Make me really appreciate it, and I think it justifies its its existence in in separation from you know all the stories told in the original series. And if we're just talking about um, metaphysical journeys encountering non-corporeal aliens that are difficult to understand, I'll, I'll take this over 2001 any day. I find it much more compelling, and I find the characters much more human and, and interesting, and I find the alien intelligence uh, much more fascinating. You heard it here here first, folks.
0: John Arminio prefers Star Trek the motion picture to two thousand one, you know it. Uh, well, I I don't know it. You know, <laughs> I don't. I don't dislike this movie by any means. Mm-hmm. I don't. There are much worse Star Trek movies. I don't even think this is a bad. It's not a bad movie. It. The things that you're saying, you know, it is, there are no other Star Trek movies like it. It is, for better or worse, its own vibe, its own thing. Yeah. And again, I don't, I don't dislike it. There, you know, I, ah, do I really dislike any Star Trek movie? You know, it's hard to say because there's just something that's just so comforting about star trek that even you know insurrection which is i think my least favorite star trek movie i would still be what be willing to watch it again if need yeah. be
1: i think if if there was like another good one after that one i wouldn't mind it but because it's like the last tng movie and it's the worst one. <laughs> I, uh,
0: Nemesis is the last TNG movie.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That, that, that's I was talking about Nemesis. Sorry, never mind. Oh, I don't. I don't mind Nemesis. Really? Interesting. The, we're gonna have I to. We're gonna have to keep podcasting until we get to those movies. Then aren't we? I mean,
0: we'll get there. It's not like again. I just don't mind it. It 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 definitely leaves a lot to be desired, mm-hmm. and sort of ruins the rule of the the even Star Trek movies being the better ones but you know I just it is nice to to be to get a welcome back to the cast of the enter, of Star Trek in the Star Trek the Motion Picture I keep on saying Star Trek the Motion Picture because there there's another movie called just star trek and that is the first chris pine movie so yeah (laughs) i don't i don't want to confuse you and i'm not that interested in talking about the newer star trek movies yeah
1: they're the first one is a fun action movie but none of them are very deep unfortunately
0: right And what
1: I love about Star Trek is its depth and its characters
0: and its morals and its hope.
1: One of the things that I do love about this movie, because we were talking about Kirk earlier, um, is that it it does sort of put us on our heels because we see that, you know, almost... (laughs) a, like, lengthy lovemaking scene, which, as Kirk, like, gazes at the Enterprise as him and Scotty are, um... You know, taking the shuttle t- to the ship, and it's this sort of, like, glorious f- few moments with this uh, uh, amazing score by Jerry Goldsmith. But as soon as Kirk gets on the ship, he starts to fuck up. Like, he... He gets lost. Like, he doesn't really know where to go. Um... He's unsure about the, the technical specs of this new model of Enterprise. Um, like one of the first things that happens when he's on the ship is this incredibly troubling transporter malfunction where it, it seems like an embodiment of the Harlan Ellison story. I have no mouth, but I must scream. Is like what the transporter turns these people into. Um, and he, he creates a wormhole because he doesn't know how the engines work anymore. Uh, and so this is not the Kirk we're used to. And so we have to... So we watch Kirk have to realize that his ego is too overblown and, like, take it down a notch and realize the mistakes that he's made putting himself in this position. And and for movie to make the audience uncomfortable in that way. I have to admire that. And, and I understand why, especially fans who might have seen this in the theaters, were sort of like, you know, all these uniforms are different, the Enterprise looks different, the The vibe is, is very 70s, and now Kirk is making all these mistakes. Like, this isn't the Star Trek I, gr- I grew up with. I mean, that's part of what I appreciate about it, but I also understand why somebody who saw it after seeing, you know, Star Trek reruns for, for a decade and... Sort of having that image of Star Trek like tattooed in their brain, why it might have been a little off, off-putting.
0: Whenever someone says off-putting, it reminds me of Between Two Ferns when <laughs> Zach Galifianakis is told that he should be off-putting. It just it makes me giggle.
1: No one's. Uh, I don't remember any pudding eating in um in Star Trek but maybe we can we can be on the lookout for that in the next few movies
0: I mean there while food and the enjoyment of food is very important in Star Trek it's not as important in the original series in my yeah. in my opinion whereas one thing you know about Picard is that he loves Earl Grey tea and Ben from Deep Space Nine. His dad owns a restaurant in New Orleans. So, yeah, food food is definitely a part of it. And it's very interesting that people still eat food in a post-scarcity world where they can replicate food. You know, I'm surprised that it's... that they're not eating protein pills. But I think one of the great joys of life is eating but let me ask you a question john sure so wherein do we find the politics and spirituality in this particular star trek outing because there's there's more explicit in other star trek outings but tell me about this one
1: yeah uh, yeah this is a pretty apolitical movie but i think the The spirituality, I think, comes from the communion of, of friendship and the, this sort of extraordinary first contact, where um, Voyager is. Uh, spoiler alert! It's um, it's a, a Voyager spacecraft launched by NASA uh, hundreds of years ago, and so it's on a quest. It, it, it's gathered, you know, over the centuries. Um, all the information in the galaxy, and now it's on a quest to find meaning to existence. It's, it's on a mission to find its creator, um, and that's a pretty profound spiritual journey. And it's crossed countless light years to to find that journey and or to to fulfill that quest. And it's it only has context for hard facts until it makes. A meaningful connection with sentient life forms where it can like commune with another soul and, and you know that's what we see happen in the, in the climax of the film and so I think that's a really interesting spiritual idea that a quest for your creator ends with a personal communion with one or two individuals um, I, I find that pretty profound And obviously, I mean,
0: Star Trek, the future of Star Trek is space communism. Mm. So, which is always interesting when people miss the point and complain about Star Trek being left or woke or political when it's literally a future where most people at least members of starfleet and the federation and obviously there's there's a lot of i do have issues with you know the federation but it's a post-scarcity world and it's intrinsically a communist facing ideal would you agree
1: yeah. And I mean, there are some like internal inconsistencies. Like, there's no money, but you know, are. Does everybody just do things without compensation, or is there some, some sort of universal basic income that everybody has? So it is a, a very egalitarian society, but of course, our focus is on Starfleet, which is a military structure, which is very regimented. Um, how do we deal with other civilizations that, that do have money if there's if if there's post scarcity how come every other episode of star trek involves like some some miners <laughs> mining dilithium um who a lot of times they seem miserable so what are they getting out of this this deal but um i, I think it is one of the most compelling egalitarian visions of society that's like i've ever seen in in, in fiction
0: yeah my guess is that there's probably some sort of universal basic income that that like or like a credit system because like you know there there are goods and services and you know later iterations of star trek show a little more of the have-nots yeah but for the most part most societies in the star trek universe have what they need i mean once you can replicate food you know what i mean like you've you've solved world hunger Mm -hmm. if you live in a world where hunger isn't an issue you're gonna live in a better world i think the reason why Socialism and communism and equity, which apparently is turning into a bad word, is important to me, is because so many of the problems that are intrinsic to the world we live in would be eradicated by food, water, housing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if healthcare wasn't attached to our jobs for most yep. of us. Yeah because a lot of people would much rather do other things but are afraid of not having health care. You know, uh, a medical a medical emergency can can bankrupt you. Yeah. There's a beautiful scene in Star Trek 4, the one with the whales, where you know, Bones is talking about the problems of our medical system and also like cure someone end stage renal disease with a pill. So just imagine what we could do if, if our goals were really to help people. Yeah. You know, the the guy who invented insulin, his goal was for it to be free. Mm -hmm. Are, Are you familiar with that?
1: Um, not that story specifically no
0: but yeah yeah the the guy who invented uh, insulin was his goal like he gave away the patent because he wanted to make this free and accessible way of dealing with diabetes and you know mm-hmm. it it was it was co-opted
1: actually I think we could use that as a Springboard to talk about Wrath of Khan unless you have anything else to say about a uh, motion picture um no
0: I, I don't uh yeah so um Star Trek the original motion picture comes out and they want to make a sequel but there's some hesitancy about it and the the new director who was not familiar with Star Trek that well, Yeah. Watched, watched every single episode of Star Trek to get ready for it and decided to, and then was, was obsessed with, a character. And what was this character, John?
1: Khan Noonien-Sung, played by Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, Nicholas Meyer was somebody who had... Very little familiarity with Star Trek, uh, but before he he got the job, and you know this is another very labored pre-production process, and with m- many um scripts before the the final one was put into production, um, and a storytelling format that Nicholas Meyer was you know, familiar with was like like submarine movies and like stories of the age of sail, and he he saw parallels, um. With that, with Star Trek, he was able to be like, all right, I know how to to write two brilliant captains dueling against each other. And that's sort of how he brought back this character of Khan uh, from the original series. And I I think this was a much more self-conscious gesture towards fans who wanted something more familiar and so they brought back an episode from the original series. I, I don't think Space Seed is like the best episode of the original series, but I think it's an interesting uh, way to incorporate the lore of the, the TV show into the era of filmmaking. And Ricardo Montalban is just so magnificent <laughs> as Khan. Uh, I think he has um, like this just palpable thirst for revenge. I love any villain that quotes Moby Dick, either consciously or unconsciously. Uh, it's pretty great. Um, you know, he never shares a scene with with Kirk, but they nope. they just they just have this delicious chemistry. And it's it's also about you know, Kirk reckoning with growing old. Um, he's incredibly insecure at the beginning of this film. He's forced to remember it's his birthday by his two best friends. Um, You know, McCoy gives him eyeglasses because Kirk is allergic to the standard um, eye deterioration treatments in the 23rd century, and he surrounded himself with antiques. Like, his, his apartment looks cozy as hell, and I would love to live there, but... It's a projection of how he feels about himself, that he's this antiquated piece of, of military hardware that the galaxy has no more use for. And, you know, w- without a command, he's incredibly lonely. And it's difficult for him to, to reckon with that. And so he has to be reminded of his own self-worth by his, you know, friends and the, 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 the needs of Starfleet. And I find um, Shatner's performance as an insecure Kirk to be uh, very powerful, and and of course we get some great moments with with him and Spock at the end of the film.
0: Yeah, you will always be my friend. Yeah. No, you have been and always yeah, well, will be.
1: Sh- I- yeah, you, you, uh, I have been and shall always be your friend.
0: Yeah, that's a. That's a beautiful line. And so growing up, I remember thinking that Star Trek The Wrath of Khan wasn't a good movie. I don't remember why. I was just like, ah, oh, this movie's not good. I don't like it. Why are they referencing like a whack episode from Star Trek? Blah, blah, blah. And my roommate at the time and filmmaker and friend, M2Make Ant, was like, bro. Rathacon is really good. It's not just the best Star Trek movie. It's one of the better sci-fi movies ever made.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I was like, that's malarkey. And you know, it was made on a fourth of the budget of the first Star Trek movie. And I watch it, and you know, there's Ricardo Montalban with his beautiful body and these characters. And yeah, as you as you said perfectly, it's two captains playing war with each other plus all of these other things. Revenge and love and family and sacrifice. And obviously there are there's martyrdom and complicated things and it just is a it's a great movie. It's my my favorite Star Trek movie is First Contact, mm-hmm. but this is probably a close second.
1: Yeah. My um I love I love all of them really. Um but I, I I really love Undiscovered Country for a lot of reasons, but like they're really just, yeah. There's just so much in Wrath of Khan that's just like thrilling um and imaginative. And, and yeah, I think if we're just going to get into the, the spiritual aspects of this movie, we get Genesis and then we get the death of of the messiah you, you know like there's a, an incredible like scope of of spiritual resonance in this film like where you know the the technology that has brought us to the post scarcity society has now created a device that can create life and even the scientists working on it are afraid of the way it's going to be used. Because they know that this device could literally destroy all life on a planet. If they use it on a planet that already has life. And they're afraid of it being co-opted by the military. And so of course it gets stolen by the supervillain of this film. Um, and one of the the great lines that, that Dr. McCoy has like... You know, the almighty created the earth in six days but watch out we can do it for you in six minutes and so it is a um you know one of the oldest tropes in science fiction is like man's hubris in his accomplishments and here we are um, in the 23rd century and, and i'm using uh, masculine pronouns um, to, 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 to describe it but especially when it's um the, the project lead is Dr. Carol Marcus uh the mother of Kirk's child and yeah and it, it's not like something that's that's hit the, the audience um over the head but I, I just think it's brilliantly executed and it gives motivation for the villain to to try and like exact revenge through this device, and to like embarrass and humiliate Kirk, not just kill him, and you know it—it it gives us a, a way into Kirk's personal life. The fact that he's disconnected from his own son, that his son doesn't know him, he doesn't know his son. He—he he knows that his son exists, but his son doesn't know his, who his father is, and that's very hurtful um, to Kirk personally Um, but that's because Marcus, uh, Carol Marcus didn't think Kirk would be a good father and I kind of think that's a fair assessment uh, unfortunately and so Kirk then has to face the fact that the way he's lived his life, the choices he's made um, has led to this loneliness that he's been consigned with that is his fault that it's his choices and that juxtaposed with the grand sci-fi story i think is what makes this film so so deep
0: and also yeah i think you know fatherhood is always an interesting trope parenthood is always an interesting trope and i think to write kirk to not know what to do as a father mm-hmm. is a really strong choice. You know, fatherhood is, is an interesting thread in the Trek universe. Again, deep space nine, my favorite star Trek show and my favorite TV show of all time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Easy has the healthiest father son dynamic in, in star Trek amongst the the main characters. But pretty much all Star Trek shows have these either explicit parental relationships or implicit parental relationships. Mm-hmm. And when it is projected onto Star Trek, you get a lot of interesting ideas, even though Star Trek Three, which we will get to, undoes a lot of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that is one of the problems. I mean, there is a lot of um, loosening of the canon in these movies. Um, Like, uh, Nicholas Meyer clearly wasn't concerned with a lot of the technical aspects of of Starfleet. You know, like the, the ship Khan is commanding, the Reliant and the Enterprise are just circling a planet. And any bit of technical... Um, at any point in the series history, either ship could have used their sensors to just detect that, that that ship is there. But because it makes the movie more compelling, we're just gonna forget about that, and that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> uh-huh. The movie's too good for me to worry about that.
0: Um, you gotta just enjoy movies, and yeah. you know sometimes you just have
1: to let things be. Yeah. Um, but one of the most famous sequences in the movie. Um, and I think one of the smartest bits of filmmaking that this movie has is, is that, like, even p- before production started, um, the hesitancy of Nimoy doing another movie was well-known by the fan base. And so there were rumors that he was going to die. So this Kobayashi Maru scenario where we see Spock die, um, quote-unquote sort of took the air out of that expectation that Spock was gonna die because it's like all right, we saw it and now we can go and be shocked and crushed at the at the end when <laughs> when he, re- he re- really does die um, But I, I think uh, as, as far as like a military training um, scenario, I think it's incredibly fascinating because I I've thought about this conversation a lot that I've had with my dad where, Um, when training pilots, the statistically most dangerous point in a pilot's training or career is when they reach a thousand hours of, of flight time, because at that point they start to get overconfident and take safety precautions for granted. And it seems to me that Lieutenant Savick has probably reached that point in her career or that the... The Kobayashi Maru scenario is where Starfleet maneuvers young officers too once it re- to reaches that metaphorical thousand hours to show them what could happen in the most dire of circumstances. They enter no one scenario and they are killed. Uh, or the, the ship they're commanding is destroyed. And at the end, Kirk says, you know, one of the major themes of the film how we think about death is at least as important as how we think about life. And I don't know if I agree with that wholeheartedly, but I think it's a valid philosophical take on the fact that, like, if you're going to live your life, I think you have to keep in mind that it is going to end. And you have to be brave enough to think about it and to know that there is an end coming and to make the moments that you have precious. And especially for someone like Kirk who has operated like he's going to live forever. um, It takes the events of this film for him to take that advice to heart.
0: I think that's a really, I like that. I do. And, um, Yeah, it was it was it was enjoyable to rewatch these movies because I haven't watched them in so long, and sometimes when we're doing, I I enjoy that we've been doing a little bit lighter fare for the for a little bit just because I sort of needed it, mm-hmm. you know, with with everything that's going on in the world and my job and stuff. It's it's nice to not to just like eat some popcorn and enjoy a movie.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And you really get to do that. Honestly, all of the all of the Shatner Trek movies are good popcorn movies. Yeah. And I I'm trying to think I I have seen every so the first the first uh, again, Star Trek 5 was the first movie I saw in theaters with my dad. And then I've seen every Star Trek in theater since, and have seen, have gone for a re, for a revival watch of Wrath of Khan and uh, the and um, the Journey Home. So yeah, I just I just look, dude. I love Star Trek. I can talk about Star Trek all day. Um, however, we don't we don't have all day. <laughs> we 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 have things we have to do, and. Yeah, so give give me some conclusions about the first two Star Trek movies, some some last points, and the significance of us discussing these films in a popcorn eschaton context.
1: Um. Well, yeah, just on on endings. um, Kirk's monologue, or, or eulogy to Spock, just like still crushes me. You know when he says of all the people I've known of mine and although the people I've encountered through all my through my travels he's been the most human like the way he's trying to steady himself and then breaks at the end of that uh, I think just speaks to the special relationship that that these two characters have and um like they they really are soulmates and and I think that performance um and the performance of Leonard Nimoy when he's in that like engine room chamber where he's like blind and he's trying to keep it together for the sake of his friend so his friend isn't in pain, but it, it's just so beautiful. Um, the, the the chemistry that these two actors and these two characters have for, have with each other and the, the care and, and affection they have, um, that it's the most important thing in this movie you know in this grand space opera is that the love that these two men have for each other and i think it's really important to, to keep that in mind that there's just so much heart in star trek even in this action spectacular that it's the human relationships and i use that term colloquially um that are the most important and um and i think that that's part of why Star Trek is, is so special to me because I, I, you know, I love these characters and, and the, the care that they have for one another
0: I agree and I'm happy to continue to discuss Star Trek and other sci-fi films because sci-fi is often a prism for us to look at greater ideals so live long and prosper John Peace and long life, Scott.